Welcome to the new Retina Radio Journal Club with VBS. I'm Caroline Baumel from New England Eye Center, Tufts Medical Center in Boston, and I'm joined by my colleagues and my friends, Ali Khan from Wells Eye Hospital and Mid-Atlantic Retina in Philadelphia. Hey, everyone. Glad to be here. Vlad Matei in Rocky Mountain Retina Associates in Boulder. Hello, everybody and Christina Wang from Baylor College of Medicine in Houston. Hi everyone, glad to be here. Tonight, we will be discussing autologous retinal transplantation for primary and refractory macular holes and macular hole retinal detachments, the Global Consortium. This was a paper authored by 36 authors, in fact. Primary author was Stavros Mosidis and his colleagues, and this was published in May 2021 in Ophthalmology. Ali, can you summarize this paper for us and hit all the pertinent points? Okay, absolutely. So uh, this was a great paper, uh, Global Multi-Center Interventional Consecutive Series of 130 patients that underwent autologous retinal transplant. That was a uh, technique uh, first uh, proposed by Tamer Mahmood uh, back in 2016 and has really taken off uh, both in the U.S. And, and internationally, and we're learning more and more um, about it with each publication, and this publication uh, is, is, is in that same vein. So they had a total of 130 patients uh, across all sites, and these included primary macular holes, refractory macular holes, and also combined macular hole retinal detachments. And their main outcomes were macular hole closure rate, visual acuity, but then also some OCT-based uh, features, including ellipsoid uh, zone and external limiting membrane band integrity, as well as a new uh, OCT uh, feature, which they described as alignment of neurosensory layers, which is the alignment of the graft with the rest of the host retina. So they found that um, you know, preoperatively, the visual acuity was uh, a mean of 2,500 and postoperative vision improved to 2,250. Um, vision improved by three lines in over 40% of patients and improved by actually five lines in approximately a third, 29%. And the overall macular hole closure rate was 89%. Um, they did have a caveat saying 79% uh, of the holes closed completely, while 10% had a small eccentric defect. And um, in particular, the macular hole RD uh, cases had the highest closure rate at 95%. Um, Safety-wise, there was you know, one case of endophthalmitis, five cases of graft dislocation, and five cases of postoperative uh, retinal detachment. And in some of their uh, analyses of their OCTs, um, they found that reconstruction of the ellipsoid zone and also the alignment of neurosensory layers between the graft and the host, ret uh, graft and the, the, the host area were um, associated with better final visual acuity. So they concluded that the technique, the autologous retinal transplant, uh, uh, was a great technique in terms of uh, uh, anatomic outcomes with over 89% closure. And functional outcomes were even more interesting with uh, approximately 30% of the eyes getting five lines of vision. So uh, another promising publication from this technique. That's a great summary, Ali. Vlad, what's your quick reaction to this paper? I think this is an important paper. Um, when this technique was first described, some surgeons in practice had a concern that this would make the OCT look better, but not necessarily improve function. But this paper is a large series which shows a significant improvement, not only in the anatomy, but also in the visual functioning. Uh, and if you look at um, just the visual acuity, 
that may not be capturing all the benefit. I think if you do a visual functioning questionnaire on these patients, maybe even more improvement. Great, that's a great insight. Christina, do you have any other comments about this paper? Yeah, I think it's really interesting. I mean, 33 of some of the best surgeons around the world, it's great to see them pull those cases together and learn a little bit more about a relatively new technique. I would emphasize that in the vast majority of primary full thickness macular holes, it's probably enough just to stay with standard techniques of ILM peeling and gas tamponade. But we all know that there are certain macular hole types like myopic macular holes, refractory holes, large chronic holes. I mean, I think the average uh, diameter here was over 1100 microns. Those are tough to close. And it's nice to have a growing number of techniques that we can turn to for those more challenging cases. Great, we're gonna take a quick break. And when we come back from the break, we're gonna have a more in-depth conversation about this paper and macular hole repair with autologous retinal transplant. Welcome back to the new Retina Radio Journal Club with VBS. I'm Caroline Bommel, and I'm here with my colleagues, Ali Khan, Vlad Matai, and Christina Wang. Dr. Khan just summarized the findings on the Global Consortium for the use of autologous retinal transplantation for macular hole surgery. And now we're gonna have a discussion about the paper. Ali, let's start off with you. Can you give us some instances where you think that it's appropriate to use this technique? Yeah, I think uh, uh, in this paper, there was even some primary macular holes as well as refractory and macular hole RDs. You know, when I initially heard of this technique, I never thought of using it for a primary macular hole. But um, they mentioned in this paper that maybe we need to rethink uh, how we stage and describe macular holes because the average size was, you know, over uh, 1400 microns uh, in average uh, largest diameter of these holes. So we usually think of a large hole being 400 or more, but uh, this is obviously a different scenario. So I think of now using this technique primarily when the hole is, is, is quite large, you know, 900 or more microns. Uh, of this maybe being my first option, um, but I'm still at the point where I'm using it only in refractory cases. Vlad, are there any other techniques that you use for a macular hole and what's your current go-to technique? So for most cases, I just do a standard PPV with the ILM peel uh, and then gas tamponade, usually SF6. Uh, I think if it's a larger hole, uh, greater than 400 microns or it's more chronic, I might consider using an ILM flap. But uh, in most cases, I haven't had to resort to some of these other techniques like transplantation or like with AMT, for example. Right. I think um, in the old days, uh, we used to use plasma and had other um, things that we used at a Juvens. And now this is bringing a whole different type of scenario, taking a piece of the retina and transplanting it into the fovea. Christina, I know you have some experience with this. Um, do you think that the piece of peripheral retina that's brought into the fovea, can that function like the typical fovea does? I think it's an interesting question, Caroline, and we're still learning about it, obviously, because we haven't done that many of these types of cases. But some of the data does support that, yes, it acts like more than a scaffold. And there have been animal models, for example, that have shown ectopic synaptogenesis, where rod photoreceptors from the periphery 
may potentially be able to synapse with the cone bipolar cells and actually provide some sort of visual function as was seen here. Now, microperimetry was of limited use in this and other studies, so it's hard to know. But I know of one study in Japan where they looked at patients who had received these autologous retinal transplants, and they were able to detect using microperimetry that there was light detection in that graph piece. So there is some function potentially being generated here, and it's exciting because some of the other techniques that we do turn to, there seems to be more of a growth factor or scaffold function, but there may be more to this than that. So Ali, when your fellow hears this radio podcast and says to you tomorrow that he wants to do this technique on the patient that has a traumatic macular hole, are you going to teach him how to do this technique? And how do you feel about this with um, teaching our fellows? I think uh, first, I think we'd both have to watch a lot more videos on the technique <laughs> and uh, maybe make some emails or phone calls to people who have had uh, more experience with it. But, um, you know, I think this paper helps shows that this is a really viable technique in, in, in a certain type of patient. And if ultimately uh, there's nothing else to offer the patient, um, you know, I think it's reasonable. And I think, you know, obviously training fellows, you have to be as the attending you know, feeling competent enough yourself. So, you know, that's not a case that's going to be passed right away. But um, I think the process of thinking about it, you know, this paper highlighted, there's, there's more than one way to do this technique. Some people leaving PFO in the eye, some people doing, you know, direct to, to oil, um, how to counsel the patient that they're likely going to need two surgeries, not just one. I, I think there's um, more to uh, this from even like a preoperative planning point of view, that's helpful definitely to go with the fellows, whether or not you do the surgery. And then I think once I got more comfortable with it, I think uh, certainly worth teaching uh, in the right setting. Great. So Vlad, um, you've perfected this technique. What other disease entities could you envision using this autologous retinal transplantation for? So I think it'd be interesting to try this in macular holes related to tissue loss, as opposed to just uh, vitreomacular interactions such as a post-retinitis patient uh, or a macular hole related to MACTEL2. Uh, it's interesting to uh, envision how much of a role in the vision recovery the RPE and CORE play uh, in, in these cases as well. Great. I think maybe even for trauma, um, maybe this would play a role. If you could move the retina from one region to the other and it still function, that would be really interesting. And macular degeneration, this is in a sense what we've tried to do. Um, any other comments? Anyone think that there's any limitations to this paper they'd like to comment on? I'll, I'll mention one, Caroline. You know, the there was a good pool of, of, of eyes in, in this series. However, if you look down at the variability between surgeons, it really significantly varied in my opinion. So some people, for example, looking at the composition of the graft use just neurosensory tissue, which is what I've done, but others use combined retina, RPE, and choroid as their graft. Additionally, people harvested from different locations, not just superior, inferior, nasal or temporal, but also how posterior or anterior you were in the retina. And that might make a difference. And then as was already mentioned, the different types of tamponade, some people left in short-term PFO, other people used oil and about 20% used gas. So there's still a lot to learn in terms of what is the ideal technique. And like I said, as more people turn to using this technique for different purposes, we will learn more with time, hopefully. 
Correct. It is very difficult to standardize multi-surgeon procedures, and this really hit on that. Um, Ali, do you have any other comments? Uh, nope. Just applaud the authors and uh, the institutions for putting this together, because uh, without a big series like this, I think uh, you know it's hard to really get to know and think about these kind of techniques. So it certainly made me think more about using it and how I would use it reading it. Great comments from the panel here. This is Caroline Baumel. I want to thank the audience for listening to the new Retina Radio Journal Club with VBS and stay tuned for further episodes.